It's the organization. You can't just have a few good people at the top and then a lot of drones at the bottom. Let's pursue that subject of social media. Can and should social media, such as Facebook, LinkedIn, or Twitter, play a role in this search for all-stars? Yes. It would be like asking, a hundred years ago, should we use the telephone to help us, or should we use the mail? And I'm struck with some of the new techniques that are coming that integrate two different social media streams. And let me take a moment to tell you what I'm talking about. Go ahead. We're all familiar with LinkedIn, where you've got the classic line-by-line bio of, here's what I did in 2005 to 2008, here was my next job. Useful, straight, drill-down, sedimentary core of someone's life. Not a lot of detail on how well they did it or what their projects were. Hmm. Concurrently, you've got people's tweets or in specialty fields, their postings in PR chat groups, their postings on some of the tech boards. If you read those with a keen eye, you can see who's taking command of one project after another, Mm -hmm. whose tweets say we delivered it on time and under budget, and whose tweets say, you know what, I think I'm about to get fired. (laughs) Wouldn't it be nice to match the two of those up? Exactly. And there are now companies that are setting out to do exactly that. That becomes a very powerful way to identify interesting candidates and to do a first round of filtering so that you're not talking to the people who have great resumes but no ability to execute. Now, in your book, you give the story which delineates the difference between the master role player and the leader. Can you talk a little bit about that? Absolutely. Larry Summers is a well-known figure in three or four different vectors. Enormously successful. He was a Treasury Secretary under Bill Clinton. He was a top economic advisor to Barack Obama. He was a winner of the Field Medal, which goes to the brightest economist under age 40. Go to back copies of Time magazine, and he's there on the cover. Right. There's one job that never worked out well for him and that he ultimately got pushed out for. That was being president of Harvard. And what happened there? The more you analyze it, the more you realize what a mismatch that was. Hmm. What do university presidents do? They diffuse tension. They're diplomats. They're conciliators. You've got angry alumni. They're the ones who hear them out. Tension within the faculty senate. They're the ones who get it all nice again. The congressional committee that's making it a little bit hard for you on something, they're the ones who come down to Washington and endure that ritual we all know as getting grilled by the committee. Right, right. When Harvard went looking for a president, diplomacy was number four on their list of specs for the job. The first thing they wanted was a brilliant researcher. Well, you know what? You're moving your researcher to the sidelines. He has no time to write his papers, to do his analysis. He's going to be in committee meetings the whole time. It's a badge that's useless. Mm -hmm. They ended up getting someone who was aggressive, confrontational, provocative. He lasted for less than five years. The event that sent him to the exit was his presence at a conference about why there were so few women who were high achievers in science and technology. And if you look at the transcript of his remarks, he said, in essence, I'm going to provoke you. I'm going to say some things that are meant to startle you. And one of them was perhaps there aren't that many women at the top because they just lack the ability to get there. Wow. Talk about a message that just sent shockwaves through the entire faculty, student mm-hmm. body, and particularly the handful of women who had made it to the top and mm-hmm. felt they had overcome a lot of prejudice and discrimination. He lost the loyalty of the faculty there and never got it back. So if you write the wrong specs, you can hire someone who's brilliant but they're not right for your job. And that's going to be a mismatch that will ultimately end in tears. Early in the book, you go into detail about the shakeout that takes place for the Army Special Forces activities. They ask them to perform challenges they put in front of them. But it's mainly about the attitudes and the perspectives of the assessors. You're picking up on a very important point. Hmm. 
There's a line in Jim Collins' book, Good to Great, that says the companies that really impressed him are the ones that were willing to settle for people who were less experienced, but who were very strict about character. Compromise on experience, don't compromise on character. The problem is usually when we talk about character, we use rather abstract terms that all sound great, but right. what do you really mean by discipline? What do you mean by focus? What do you mean by integrity? Integrity especially is a word that means different things mm -hmm. to different people. What I liked about the Special Forces example is you really get to see it up close. Sure. Some of the things they're looking for, tenacity, resilience, grit, ability to function in an ambiguous setting. And how do they do it? They give people essentially an impossible task. Mm -hmm. You've got an old Vietnam-era trailer missing one of its wheels. Thing weighs about a quarter ton. You've got two and a half miles of Pineland Sandy Road in the wilds in North Carolina. It's got an incredible friction coefficient, and the thing is just not meant to move more than two or three feet. And you've got to push this thing through the sand. They give you a bunch of equipment in the middle of the night with five minutes to figure out how you're going to tie some rope to it, put some support beams to it.